If you're an author or plan to be one, get excited because this podcast is for you. Book Marketing Mentors is the only podcast dedicated to helping you successfully market and sell your book. If you're ready for empowering conversations with successful marketing mavens, then grab a coffee or tea and listen in to your host, international best-selling author, Susan Friedman. Welcome to Book Marketing Mentors, the weekly podcast where you learn proven strategies, tools, ideas, and tips from the masters. Every week, I introduce you to a marketing master who will share their expertise to help you market and sell more books. Today, my special guest is an expert in workplace well-being. Mari Ryan is CEO and founder of Advancing Wellness. She leverages over 30 years of business experience in a variety of industries. For the past decade, Mari has been creating thriving workplaces through her consulting work and speaking on worksite well-being. Mari is the author of the award-winning book, The Thriving Hive, How People-Centric Workplaces Ignite Engagement and Fuel Results. She's an active member of the National Speakers Association, and it's always an absolute pleasure to welcome my NSA colleagues to the show. So, Mari, thank you so much for being this week's guest expert and mentor. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here, Susan. Mari, you've written your best-selling book, The Thriving Hive. It's a parable. I've never interviewed anybody who's written a parable. Talk to us about that, especially as it relates to you working in a corporate environment I mean, how do they take to, you know, that whole concept of you being, you know, writing a parable all about bees of all things? Well, I love this question, Susan, because it draws on a number of different things. And a part of this, you know, as a fellow speaker, you know that when we want to engage an audience, we often tell stories. And if you think about, you know, the types of things many people read, they read stories. And where do we learn our lessons in life? From the stories. And I thought, you know, I'm not sure I just want to write a business book. My message is a business message and my audience is in business. But do I just want to write a business book? And the more I thought about it, I thought about books that I've always really enjoyed and loved and Many of them were in the story format. You know, think about who moved my cheese, right? That delivered a powerful message in a very short story format. I adopted the idea to do that. But then I had the challenge of, okay, so how do I write a parable? Because <laughs> I've never written a book before. First off, I read a lot of parables. You know, I got a whole bunch of them and I read them and I thought, okay, there's different approaches you can use to this. And I thought about the idea of just telling the story about somebody who's in a workplace and these things happen kind of thing. And then I thought, eh, maybe there's a way to be a little more creative about this. And I was actually thinking about what could I use as the metaphor for the workplace? You know, workplace is a system and it has processes and people and culture. How can I find a metaphor for that? And I was actually in Washington, D.C. for an event a couple of years ago, and I was out for my morning walk, and I went down by the Potomac River, and I was walking by some stores in Georgetown, and I saw some bees in the window, like a, some sort of a, just a decal kind of thing of a bee. And I suddenly thought bees, 
beehive. Beehive is a system. It has workers. It sort of has hierarchy, but not really. But they have a reason for being. And I thought that would be it. I decided, okay, it's about bees. I can do this, you know, in a beehive. I knew nothing about bees was the only problem. So I had to spend a lot of time doing some homework and understanding how beehives really work. So funny because the first thing I thought of is this woman's a bee lover. Mm-hmm. And so, in fact, you had to learn about bees and, you know, the whole idea of the queen bee and the worker bees. Mm-hmm. There is a certain hierarchy in how they go about life. That's fascinating. How does your audience relate to that? Well, it's interesting because I think people can really relate to the way that I dramatized what was happening in these systems. So I organized the book with sort of a narrator. It's uh, the CEO of an organization who's kind of struggling and she goes to her mentor and he gives her some guidance by looking at what's going on in his beehives. So he's retired and he's tending bees. And I divided this into two different types of beehives. So there was the dive hive and there was the alive hive. And I think as people read the story, they relate to the fact that if they've ever worked in a workplace that would be characterized as the dive hive, and granted, when you're characterizing these kinds of things, you you know do a little bit of exaggeration. You know, it's the world isn't quite as black and white as a, the alive hive and the dive hive might make it out to be. But I think the audience could really relate to it because people have worked in a place where they didn't feel cared for where it was all about profit. It didn't matter about the people. It was all about just meet the numbers, make the numbers, get the profit. And if we have to lose a few people along the way, well, that's too bad because they don't matter. So I think people could really relate to that story of, yeah, boy, I've worked in a place like that. Have you ever worked in a place like that, Susan? I have. And it was awful. I didn't last that long, I have to admit. Exactly. I think people could really relate to that. But then in the Alive Hive, what I did was really, this is where the story really comes out of what do we do in workplaces to be able to create an environment where people can thrive? What are the things we do and how do we connect people to the purpose of the organization? And that purpose is something other than profit. Profit's an outcome. Profit's not the goal. You talk about well-being, and there's well-being and there's wellness. Help me understand what's the difference. Mm, Yeah, that's a really good question. When we think about wellness, which we've been hearing about for years, of course, it's not anything that's new, we often think about this as being our physical health. Do I get enough exercise? Am I getting enough sleep? Do I eat right? Do I not use tobacco products? So how I'm looking after my physical self. But in reality, we are more than just our physical selves. We have so many other elements that really influence our true well-being. And some of those things are for example, right now, while we're, you know, we're living in this world of a pandemic where the world has stopped to pay attention to health, we are very aware of financial well-being. As I've been saying a lot lately, if your financial 
life is out of whack, your whole life is out of whack. Financial well-being plays very importantly towards mental well-being. You know, if you've got financial stress in your life, you're going to be very stressed, which means you may not be able to show up at work in as a whole, you know, your whole being, being able to focus and pay attention and be engaged as an employee. You would tie in these elements. And, and again, we see some of this during the time where many people are working from home, the sense of community and connection and belonging and collaboration with peers, all of those things tie into our well-being. It's a much broader topic. It certainly is. And I don't think it matters where you work. So many of our listeners are solopreneurs, and basically it's me, myself, and I that are in the organization. Mm -hmm. And there's no one else really to communicate with. I mean, I used to talk to my fish until they died. I'm sorry. And that wasn't my fault. Well, I don't know. It might have been, but I didn't do it on purpose before people get the abnormal rights on me. Yeah. How do we, basically the word that comes to mind is stay sane, Mm. (laughs) especially when we're living in an insane society at the moment. The personal strategy that I'm using really is to focus on the things that I can control. I know I can't control what's going on in the world around me but I know there are certain things that I can control. And this goes to also sort of the idea of resilience and how we build our strength and build resilience in our lives. So I know I can control how much sleep I get. I know I can control what I eat. I know I can control how much exercise I get. I know I can control how much time I spend with certain people or doing certain activities. And those are the things I know I can control. By focusing on those, then I have a sense of some strength in my day, in my week, in my life, so that I can do the things I need to do for my business, for my family, for my home, be stronger to be able to to show up and do those things. Yeah, that's so important is, as you rightly say, we can only do what we can control doing, you know, there's craziness all around us, but we can't necessarily control that. It's just how we can do it for ourselves. Do you have specific practical suggestions of how you can literally take some of that control. Maybe we aren't eating or sleeping or doing things that really could energize us. What suggestions do you have? Well, I love that question because it's interesting. There are a lot of things I think we can do. And I think everyone has to decide for themselves what are the things that are important to you. As an example, for me, it's important that I have some rituals in my day. And my rituals are focused around some well-being activities. One is that I, again, I know how much sleep I need and want. And even when there's stress in someone's life, that can impact sleep. So sleep is kind of the core element. You know, we've got to get that right amount of sleep. Finding out what that is and how that works for you. I also have a practice of meditation, and it's very short. It's just first thing in the morning, 15 minutes, just a little bit of time to just kind of prepare my mind, prepare my body, and to 
sort of get in alignment. I also have an exercise ritual. I start my day with exercise. That's when I'm highest energy. I know when my energy is high. That's my highest energy time. And it gives me the energy to really power me through the day. The next element is around healthy eating. We're not all perfect and we may have good times and not so good times. This is my favorite time of year in the summertime when there's lots of fresh you know, fruits and vegetables and lots of great things that are available to eat. Well, I really try to focus on that. It's not to say I don't have chocolate or I don't drink wine or any of those things, because I do, but I just do those things in moderation. And when I can have those rituals as part of my day, that prepares me to show up at work and to be able to do the things that I need to do and prioritize the things I need to do to be able to run my business. In this new era of chaotic normal, mm-hmm. <laughs> or whatever your new normal as people are referring to it, what are you doing differently that is helping your business? Well, there's a number of things. I really believe that it's very important to stay visible. If I were to just hunker down and say, all right, I'm just going to kind of hide out until this is over. Well, that's not going to work because we thought this was going to be over in March or over in April and it's July and it's still not over and it's not going to be for a while. So I think staying visible is one of the things that I'm a firm believer you need to do. I belong to some networking groups. I do a lot of social media so that I'm, again, top of mind for people. As long as I'm out there putting my name out there, people can see what I'm thinking about, what I think is important relative to well-being in the workplace. It really helps to stay in front of the audience that I'm attracting. And I think that's probably the biggest thing. I think if I could have a second one, it's reaching out to people, connecting making sure that you're staying connected, seeing how people are doing, just checking in. How's it going for you? Are you doing okay? Anything I can do to help you? And just being able to do that in a sincere way so that people know that you care. Yeah, some great ideas. When you say social media, are you writing blogs? Are you writing articles? What do you find for your audience? is the most effective? The answer is yes, 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 and yes. I have a cadence of things that I do. My audience is pretty much a business audience, so I'm on LinkedIn a lot, but I also use Twitter and Facebook and a few other things, but it's mostly targeted to LinkedIn. I post two or sometimes three times a day on LinkedIn, and those are sometimes original articles. I write a blog every, right now it's every two weeks. I post a video. I do video interviews and I post those every two weeks. Those are kind of a companion. The blog and the video are on a similar topic. Then I take the both of them and wrap it into an article that I post on LinkedIn so that it's there sort of historically easy for people to find. So they don't have to go to my website. They can easily find it right on my LinkedIn profile. And then I also curate content. I don't have to be the original thinker on everything. There's a lot of great things in the world, and I want my audience to know about that. I pull things from resources like the Harvard Business Review and Forbes and 
because my audience is largely human resource managers, I might pull things from the Society of Human Resource Management. So I have all of these regular sources I go to. I build a habit that in the morning, I'm going to spend 10 minutes looking for one or two or three sometimes maybe articles that I'm going to post that I've curated from these other sources that relate to some topic that's tied to well-being in the workplace. That's fantastic. I mean, just that whole idea of not having to necessarily be the person who's coming up with all the information. I think there sometimes is that feeling that it's got to come from us. And if it doesn't, well, that I don't know where else to go. But that whole idea of being able to curate some content and going, as you say, to some of these major resources. Talk to us more about curation. I've I've had a few people on the show who've talked about it, but I'm interested in your side. Where do you give credit? I mean, do you just take the article? Do you just take a, a URL? What do you do? I'm basically just taking the URL, which in many cases, when it doesn't work, I actually don't use it. But generally, when I take the URL and paste it into, let's take LinkedIn as the example, when you're creating a post, it's going to go to that source and it's going to pull up whatever the lead image is, and it's going to pull the information from that article. It will also post the title generally of that article. Now, I might comment on that article I, you know, I might comment on, here's a really interesting view about why workplace culture is so important in the age of working from home, as an example. So I'm going to make comment about that. In some cases, I might just pass along the article. It's very easy to do. doesn't take a lot of time. I also save those articles. I save them to, I use a tool, Evernote. I'm kind of recording them in my own filing system so that if I want to write an article on a particular topic later... I can go back and I can find all of those things that I've previously posted. And so it does multiple things. One is it puts me out there saying, oh, look at all these interesting things she's reading about and seeing. I become a source of good information on my topic. And then by the fact that I've saved it on my own filing system, what it does is it then gives me access to that information later when I do want to write an article or a blog or something on that topic. And this is so important as people develop the idea of being seen as an expert authority in their field. And it definitely sounds as if that's exactly what you are, because you're on top of everything that's going on in your environment. Now, do you work with any particular industries? Or I know you mentioned HR. Do you work in industries that are particularly interested in what you have to say? No, there are no particular vertical industries that I worked in. I've had clients in healthcare and hospitals and manufacturing and high tech. Uh, Last year, I worked with a grocery company in New Jersey. It doesn't matter what the industry is. They just need to have employees. Mm -hmm. And it's the people that are really what I'm focused on. Any organization that has people. And I tend to work with larger employers. My smallest client right now has about a thousand employees. So it tend to be larger. How about doing virtual presentations? Is that something that you've been called to do? I do a lot of speaking. And when the 
pandemic hit and we shut down, all my in-person speaking engagements disappeared pretty much overnight. And most of those have now transitioned to online. So I'm doing a lot of virtual presenting and I am even a certified virtual presenter, a little credential to go with that. Yes, I'm doing a lot of that. I have nine speaking engagements in the next two months. So it's really been picking up a lot lately now that people get that this is where we are, this is where we're going to stay, and let's figure out how to make the most of it. Yes, um, that's absolutely the way we have to go. It's interesting because I too did that virtual presentation certification and it was fun to do it, even though I've been doing virtual for many years. It was fun just to get acknowledged that, okay, now I'm certified to do virtual presentations. It's more official now. Exactly. (laughs) Tell us more about how we can get the book, find out more about you. What's going on there? All of the information about who I am and my company is available on our website. Company name is Advancing Wellness. And our URL is advwellness.com. And there's a page right there for my book, The Thriving Hive, How People-Centric Workplaces Ignite Engagement and Fuel Results. The book is available on Amazon in the ebook format or Kindle format, the paperback, and it is also available on Audible. Now, on Audible, did you narrate it or did somebody else narrate it? This was kind of interesting. I had a serendipitous kind of three weeks before the ebook was coming out. So I first published the ebook and then four weeks later published the paperback. And about three weeks before the ebook was about to come out, I was having breakfast with a network contact and we were just chit chatting. And he mentioned his wife worked from home. And I said, Oh, what does she do? And he said, She's a book narrator. And I said, Really? I could use a book narrator right about now. It's just this serendipitous event. And I got in touch with her that day. And three weeks later, she had the book fully finished, ready to go. And it's really fun because it's a story. She was the one that told me I had 80 characters in the book. I just gave names to the bees. I didn't know how many there were. It's just fun. And she gave different voices to them. It's just a fun way to be able to experience the book. And it's just under three hours. So it's it's a pretty quick listen. That's so much fun. I love it. One thing that we didn't talk about, and I always like to ask my guests about, is mistakes. We have to touch on mistakes because my listeners are really like, this is what they want. They want to learn about how to avoid some mistakes. So what are some of the things that come up in your environment? When I was writing the book, it actually went pretty smoothly. I had the, it took me less than six months to go from start to completed second draft. So I wouldn't say so much around the book writing. I would say, if anything, with the marketing piece of the book. And we have to remember that writing the book is sometimes not the hard part. It's the marketing because the marketing of the book goes on in perpetuity. We never stop marketing our book. And I would say the mistake I've made is not being quite as self-promoting as I can be with that 
in meaning that when I'm talking with people about speaking engagements, making sure I'm saying, oh, and here's an option to buy X number of copies of the book for your audience. So I think I just need to be much more aggressive or assertive in my, maybe not aggressive, but assertive in my approach to making sure people know that this is a part of who I am and the message that I'm delivering and the way that they can consume that message is in another form. I think you hit the nail on the head because I think what's one of the hardest things for authors to do is exactly that, is to stick your neck out, toot your own horn, Mm -hmm. and let people know. Now, you did it so nicely when I asked you about your book, you had it down pat. And I think that's key is to have those sound bites and you know exactly what you're going to say, how you're going to say it. And it just makes it easier and you remember to do it. Also, the whole idea of marketing in perpetuity. Well, (laughs) I'm going to quote you because that's exactly, I interviewed somebody yesterday And they said, one of her authors, she also works with authors, and she said, they always get asked, well, when does this marketing stuff stop? And (laughs) it's like, when you want to stop selling your book. Exactly. Right. Right. (laughs) The day I die. Exactly. It is. It's just ongoing. And it's just part of what you do. And so many authors just don't realize that um, it's a school of hard knocks because the book's just not going to sell itself unless you put some energy behind it. If you were to leave our listeners with a golden nugget, what would that be? I think my golden nugget would be to take care of yourself first. Prioritize yourself first. We're never going to run out of work. We're never going to run out of things to do. We're never going to finish the things we need to do if we don't take care of ourselves first. Prioritizing self-care, making sure that you're looking after yourself because you can't be there for anyone else and you can't be there for your business if you don't take care of yourself first. Such great words of wisdom. I've got to take that to heart. (laughs) (laughs) It's like there's never an end to what needs to be done. It's ongoing. So thank you so much for sharing your wisdom. And thank you all for taking time out of your precious day to listen to this interview. And I sincerely hope that it sparked some ideas you can use to sell more books. Here's wishing you much book marketing success. The time is now to take action and finally build your book selling empire. And the great news is that Susan is here to help you. Visit bookmarketingmentors.com and sign up for a free 15-minute book marketing strategy session with Susan. She'll help you discover your first steps to marketing and selling your book. Only those who take action are rewarded. So visit bookmarketingmentors.com and we'll see you again next week. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.